Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 14 of Control Issues. Um, Last week, I was able to sit down with my dear friend, Lauren, and we had an incredible conversation on Memorial Day. Um, Thankfully, she was willing and able to move her schedule around a little bit and do things differently, um, or at really a different time due to my work schedule. Um, Things are ever-changing with corona, so I appreciate everyone's patience. But I was able to air our pre-recorded episode last Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is the typical Facebook Live time. So I met up with Lauren Hearn. Um, We talked shop about um, what it's like to be a new mom. One thing I do not know, but um, because I'm not a mom, I'm a fur mom. Um, But we talked about what it's like to be a new mom um, in recovery and how you have to manage your schedule and things change and those changes that have come along with it. Um, The beautiful program of H&On. Um, and just a whole bunch of other great things that I hope you enjoy in this episode. Please tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook via the Control Issues Facebook page. You can watch every week a Facebook Live where I may have some pre-recorded things based on scheduling issues. Um, but every Tuesday at 7 p.m. there will be a video up um, and you can follow that and get notifications for every week by liking and following the Control Issues Facebook Facebook page, excuse me. Um, you can get updated about control issues um, if I unfortunately have another case of laryngitis or um, just of the happenings and whatnot of uh, control issues with the control issues Instagram at control issues 19. Um, I'd love to hear some feedback. I put up a little surprise episode last Monday um, where I did a question and answer thing with questions that have been sent in to me and provided from listeners. Um, and if you liked those or if you have feedback on um, on your answers to those questions, please shoot me a DM either on Facebook or through Instagram, or you can send me an email to controlissues19 at gmail.com. I'd love your feedback. I'm definitely looking for more guests that you guys would like to hear from. Um, I can (laughs) interview pretty much anyone um, remotely through um, the service that I use, which is really cool. Um, So give me your feedback. Give me your guest ideas. I'd love to hear from you all and how you're handling quarantine and the ever-changing world that we're in. Um, So I hope you enjoy this episode and I will see you all very soon. Thank you so much. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 14 of Control Issues. Uh, Here I am with Lauren, still respecting social distancing by being in our own homes, so that's good. Um, But this is the lovely Lauren. That word finally works with some good alliteration. Um, So Lauren may or may not know this, but... Uh, when I was like nine months sober, I used to go to this meeting called Nod Squad, and it was in an auditorium room at a church. And every meeting of that meeting, Lauren would share, and it was like the shit I needed to hear every time. And so I had this like, I don't know, crush isn't the right word. Like it was like this admiration for you in my first year of sobriety because I liked what you had to share. And it was always you and Chris on the like left side of the room. And it was just like solid to the point. And um, I have a ton of respect for you. So I'm so glad you're here. So with that being said, for those who don't know you, could you give a Reader's Digest uh, version of who you are, where you're from, what's your, how long you've been sober, that kind of thing, if you want to tell us about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Lauren and uh, my sobriety date is February 27th, 2014. So I just celebrated uh, six years and some change. Yeah. So um, I am from Roswell, Georgia, grew up in the area. Um, I've moved around a little bit, 
mostly because of the like change the location, change your life, get sober thing uh, I tried. And surprise, surprise, I wound back, uh, wound up back here in Georgia. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I have, I grew up here. Um, so my life has pretty much been centered here. My family is here and, um, my entire recovery network is here. Um, for the most part, you know, I do have connections outside of, of Georgia, but, um, I don't know, I'm married and I have a almost two year old little girl Hudson, which is mind blowing. Um, just for me, especially because of my story with, you know, trying to get pregnant and having um, a lot of health issues that um, I never thought it was going to be possible to have a child. And so, you know, sitting here with her almost being two is like, it's a miracle every single day. Um, and, you know, I'm, I have a full-time career in the mortgage industry. Um, and I never thought that I would say that that was something I wanted to do, but I love it and I love the people that I work with. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I try to be, you know, as active in the recovery community as I can with my, my busy full life <laughs> that I've been given. So, um, but yeah, I'm super glad to be here and um, excited. I'm, I love that you have a podcast. It's honestly been something that um, I thought about doing a long time ago and cause I love speaking. And so um, I'm really cool to see that someone, you know, local to our network and in my network has, has done that. So. Well, thank you. And um, I can always give you pointers if you ever want to get started. Um, I feel like everyone wants to do it and I support that, right? There's not enough. Um, I mean, there are tons of recovery podcasts out there, but um, there can always be more because mm -hmm. this is, I don't know, I love to listen to podcasts and it's a really great way to connect with people and share a message. Um, and you know, like what you just shared about yourself, I remember when you were pregnant and I feel like that was a like just yesterday um, <laughs> because time seems to fly by in a weird way now, but it's truly a testament um, to the hope and the, the beauty of what this program does for us and mm -hmm. the power of like how God works in our lives and whether or not God is a doorknob or Aslan, my God sounds like Aslan, of Liam Neeson. Um, but whatever your higher power is like, that's a testament of trusting in that process because, um, you know, I didn't get sober so that I would have a beautiful life. I got sober so I would stop getting high every day and destroying my life. Exactly. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> uh, so I can imagine that it is quite the shift to become a parent in recovery and, you know, like becoming a parent in general changes your whole life. Right. But what was the, like, how did it change your recovery to be, to go from being just like being pregnant, you can still generally show up to the same things you did before, but right. what was the change once you had Hudson? Um, so I think for me, so the change actually started, um, prior to having her because I was, I had such a high risk pregnancy okay. that, um, I was put on bed rest pretty early. Um, and then shortly after being put on bed rest, I had an emergency delivery with her. Oh. Um, and so I kind of was pushed into this like new routine a little bit earlier than, you know, say, having a pregnancy, having a baby and then changing the routine. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of blessed for that in, in a sense, but, um, you know, it's changed a lot. Um, I kind of had to settle into, um, I guess being more adaptive to someone else's schedule than my own. Whereas, you know, 
when you're in a relationship with someone and you're both in recovery, you can kind of just get up and go to the same meetings or like do your own thing and go to separate meetings and kind of be involved in your own group of friends and social stuff. Um, you know, but when you have a child, especially within that first year, I really feel like, um, you know, you have to really create your own program with what works for you. And that was something that I had to redefine. Um, you know, I had to reach out to other people that had children and kind of ask them like, Hey, am I a bad person in recovery because I'm not showing up as much? Or am I a bad mom because I'm dropping my kid off at my mom's house so I can go to a meeting? You know, I had to really, um, figure that out for me and what worked for me um, and what it looks like now, you know, obviously during quarantine, it's a little bit different, but prior to, um, you know, we really don't bring Hudson to a lot of meetings with us um, if we can avoid it. And so, um, you know, I've really had to lean on those relationships, like with my, my parents um, that I've been able to gain that through the program, right? Like, rewind seven years ago, if I had a child, I don't think my parents would be willing to take them off, take her off my hands as much, you know, but, (laughs) but because that relationship is solid and and they trust me and I trust them and they're willing to help out. And so, um, I kind of had to step back from the amount of meetings that I was going to. Um, but then I also was able to shift it. Um, and I really got involved in the family aspect of it as well with H and on, you know, um, so with the family group and that kind of helped me be able to look at my schedule and say, well, my parents are willing to take her on Friday night over to Saturday morning. So if I can double up on meetings Friday night and Saturday morning, then like, you know, I've done a good bit for my week. Um, and, I, and I've kind of had to be of service in different areas and not just show up to meetings, you know, really utilize my network and be available for other people in the program um, for where they can come to my house and they can come and sit down and have a cup of coffee on my couch and talk and stop by and visit. Um, you know, but a lot of that is is done within. Right. Like I had to just define that for myself. Um, there was no one that had the magic answer of what that was going to look like or what was going to work or not work. So, yeah. As you know about me, I am a hugely opposed to cliches, although they're generally true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, play the tape back through. I can see your husband rolling his eyes from across from wherever he is, right? Yeah, um, he can I'm probably also- hear you. <laughs> but um, we, we, I think we have the same opinion on that one. But yeah. on that, like, there's that saying that meeting makers make it, and God, right. I think that is a huge disservice to. And keep in mind, um, anything that I say on this, I'm not the queen of recovery by far. Um, right. I'm not the authority. All I can do is speak from my experience. But um, that saying can be detrimental to folks because then, in my opinion, and from my experience, meetings then become the only sustenance of your recovery. And when I'm looking for meetings to bring me solution rather than looking toward the step work and internally, I'm missing the whole point because... I think coronavirus showed that a lot to us. Like all of a sudden meetings were gone and we had to shift to a new platform. Thank God for zoom. Um, Mm -hmm. but by remembering that, like, like what you just said, like you had to shift internally and find other ways because the program of recovery is in every aspect of our life, whether or not you're in a church or a meeting hall or whatever place, you know, you're hanging out for a meeting. Um, meetings are great. I'm not dissing on them. I, I love meetings. I like to, but that's fellowship that's not the program. And that's just Mm -hmm. one part of the triangle. So 
you mentioned something that is really cool. Um, H and on, can you elaborate on what H and on is and kind of how yeah. that got started in Atlanta? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is a family group program, just like Al-Anon or Naranon. Um, we are a group of people, whether, um, basically where a loved one, a family member or a friend has been affected by heroin or opiate addiction. Um, and we come together and we talk about our experience and our common goal is really our primary purpose, I guess you would say, you know, is to carry the message of hope and recovery to someone else. And so the reason I got involved in this, um, I had gotten involved with my sponsor and, you know, we had both experienced a lot of um, grief and loss just in our lives, um, different situations, completely different situations, but all the same feelings. Mm -hmm. And so in Phoenix, where um, the only other meeting was at the time, we kind of, you know, my sponsor got connected with them and we decided to come together as a group and, and start to facilitate a place where people could go um, and come in and share their raw and honest emotions and their feelings about having someone in their life who's affected by heroin addiction. And oh my God, it turned <laughs> into like the most um, freeing and just most healing and nurturing place for me personally. Um, you know, at the time when this started, I was, um, I was really grieving. Um, I had been through a lot of trauma and sobriety with, um, you know, we call them the qualifier, right? My qualifier in my life. And, um, I didn't know what to do, right? Like the 12 steps and going to meetings for me, wasn't cutting it as far as like that aspect of my pain and suffering. Um, and so I needed a different place to go. And what it turned out to be was, you know, a small group of people, so intimate, emotionally intimate, where I could go in and just get everything off my chest. And no one told me what to do. No one told me like how I needed to show up. They basically showed me a way, and I'll say it again, to like focus inward, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think for people in recovery, we all say like, well, I, I earned my seat in this chair. You know, I know why I'm here. And so to have that in another fellowship, like I, I'm so firmly rooted in the fact that like what I went through deserves me a seat in a family program because addiction is a family disease. Right. Um, and I work the steps through this program with my sponsor and the outcome which is an ongoing outcome, right? I'm shown these things, these new things about myself all the time, how I respond to other people, how I react. Um, it, it's really just made me be okay with whatever is going on in my life. And um, so it's, we're a small fellowship, you know, there's only currently, I think two or three meetings across the country. Wow. Um, recently, yeah, recently we joined forces with Alabama. They wanted to start a meeting and, so we hold that online on Tuesday nights and we've had people from all over the country join in. And it's amazing to me because being in recovery, I know how many people are affected by the disease, mm. but it's such a different perspective when you have a grieving mother come in who's yeah. lost her son and her other one's still in active addiction or, you know, a spouse who their husband's in treatment for the 50th time and they just don't know what to do. And they didn't know there was anywhere to go. They didn't know who to talk to. Um, and so it's just really cool to be a part of that. And um, I don't know, it's been one of the biggest blessings in my life over the past year and a half, honestly. It's just, 
it's taught me so much about myself and how I position myself with other people's addiction. You know, it's really shown me that I have no power. I really have no power or control. And honestly, someone else's addiction doesn't have anything to do with me, no matter how close they are to me. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, and that's freeing, like so freeing. So, yeah, gosh, I need to be reminded of that because I, I mean, I, I, I have qualifiers, but I'm not a member of HAnon or any anonymous program, but I definitely can relate to the fact of the people that are closest to me happen to be in recovery as well. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing, I lost my voice. I don't want to lose again. Um, but the people that are closest to me, oftentimes, this is just who I am, I take on their shit as mine mm -hmm. when it's not my job to do so, right? Like if I'm focusing on myself and being there for them, like their addiction, because even when you're in a recovery, I think sometimes those little like the addictive things, oh, I, for sure. that, right? I have <laughs> junky behavior being sober. Yeah. Um, like there's so many things. I dyed my hair purple and cut back. I mean, we all do. We all have we all have um, defects pop up all the time. Exactly. That's why there's step work. Um, yeah. But with that being said, like the the, I'm sure that program could be beneficial for so many more people than it's probably currently reaching. So mm -hmm. if you're listening and you'd like to get more information, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I will put you in contact with Lauren or contact Lauren directly. Um, and you know, with the current situation of the world, you could be anywhere and join that Zoom meeting, which is a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, also bonus, um, there's a kick-ass podcast called Last Week Out that's taped out in Arizona. It's kind of on a hiatus, I believe right now. Don't kill me if that's wrong, Anthony. But they had on um, the one of the like founders of H&On. And if you go on their YouTube channel and check that out, she is an awesome woman. And that is one of the best episodes um, that has that they ever did, in my opinion. So check that out. Shout out to Last Week Out Podcast. Um, so within that um, fellowship, do you have a separate, This is, these may be dumb questions. I just don't know anything as, about anonymous or non-programs, family yeah. groups. That's probably the right word. Right. My family works them but we kind of keep it separate. <laughs> right. Um, but so you work steps, are they a different set of steps or they kind of follow? So, um, so in H and on, we work the 12 steps. Um, it's basically a sister fellowship to heroin anonymous. So, um, we have different literature that we use. We use okay. the family group literature, but the steps and the traditions are, um, pretty much word for word adopted from heroin anonymous. And so, um, the two fellowships line up a whole lot. Um, the steps virtually are the same. There are a couple pieces of wording that are different, um, because, you know, we're not talking about being powerless over heroin. We're talking about being powerless over someone else's addiction. And so, um, it's a, it's kind of like a weird mind shift when you're in recovery and you're also in a family group. Um, and it's hard, it was hard for me. I'll speak for myself. It was hard for me to separate that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, because being in the, in the program for so long, you know, it's like, I know this stuff by, by like the back of my hand. Um, but when I had to shift the focus and look at a different form of powerlessness and a different, set of, you know, principles applying it somewhere else. Um, it was just, it was crazy in the beginning because I really didn't have the clarity to do so. But, 
you know, I'm glad I have a confident sponsor who was able to take my hand and be like, okay, let me tell you how to, you know, <laughs> let me show you what you need to do. Um, but yeah, it's pretty similar. So that's cool. And I'm sure it benefits both sides, right? You can does, take what you yeah. learn from each one. Um, I owe a lot to Al-Anon for my recovery in the sense that my family is deep rooted in the program on my mom's side. And if it wasn't for my grandmother going to Al-Anon 50 something years ago, I don't know if my grandfather would have made it into the rooms of AA and he passed 40 something years sober. And then with that, then there's a trickle effect of other members of my family mm -hmm. who've, um, you know, been able to connect to the program because they knew it was there. Um, right. And that can often be very hard when you're trying to get sober. Like I, you don't know where to go. And at least mm -hmm. for me, I knew I could call this one person in my family and be like, yo, mm -hmm. I, I need a meeting. I'm not <laughs> sick anymore. And uh, right. I think I want to do this and you better come pick me up today because if not, I'm going to change my mind. Right. Um, so to shift topics, just a skosh, um, a lot of the things that stand out for me when you share has to do with taking action. Um, I felt like you beat that into our heads my first year of sobriety. <laughs> was the like, what action are you taking? And then I had a friend who she was your sponsee and then she would share that. And so I heard that a lot and it still is in the back of my mind. Like what action am I taking today to further my recovery? In this weird time of not being able to go to meetings, having to do a lot more action to stay sober, um, what are the actions you're taking to, you know, keep it going? Um, yeah, I mean, so I honestly had a huge shift when all this started. Um, and not that I wasn't doing anything before coronavirus, um, but I was doing the like the normal, the comfort stuff, right? Like I was kind of set in my routine and doing what worked for me. And then, you know, after a couple of weeks of being in quarantine, I was like, you know, I'm, I really miss like these daily meetings with people, whether it's a guy at a gas station or somebody at my work that I casually say hello to, you know, I realized that I was missing that human connection. And I truly believe at the end of the day that addiction and connection with people are like opposites, right? Mm -hmm. Like I truly believe that isolation is really detrimental for a heroin addict like myself or an addict or an alcoholic in general. And so knowing that and having the experience of having stepped away from the program prior for a little while, um, I decided to just go back to the basics. You know, I, um, I started doing a nightly inventory with one of my really good friends and that action in itself, while it may be so small in the, in comparison to everything I do throughout my day, mm -hmm. taking the time at night to really look at, you know, where have I honestly been, um, has pushed me into different action, right? Like if I have a resentment for three days in a row, then like my action to follow up is to do a mini inventory, you know, talk to other people. Um, I decided to get a little bit more involved on, um, kind of like get back on social media. I took like a, a Facebook hiatus for like two years just because I really like didn't have time to spend all day like scrolling through stuff. Um, but I decided to get back involved and, you know, really make myself available for other women or men that are struggling in the program, um, looking for information, helping them find online meetings. I've really made myself kind of an avenue um, so that people know I'm here to utilize that. 
Um, you know, another thing that I've really started doing is, is um, every single day when I'm having my morning coffee, I sit down and whether it's a three minute meditation or a 10 minute podcast or something that I'm doing, um, I have to start my day out like that. Um, and it kind of breaks up the cycle from walking from my bed to brush my teeth straight down to my home office. You know, it kind of um, gets me going in the right mindset for the day. And then also, um, you know, I picked up a new sponsee during all of this. And so being involved in someone else's step work has really helped me take the focus off of like my own mind, like when it just wants to go and go and go. Um, you know, and then another action I've continued to take is I've continued to just take part in therapy. And that's another big part of my, my recovery story is that, you know, um, even though it's considered an outside issue, mental health for me is just something that's super important. And I know that I struggle with that. Um, and I get so much from, from therapy that I've continued that, you know, and thank God my therapist does teleconference, you know, appointments. So, um, but I don't know. I just, I had to shift it and I had to go back to the basics, you know, nothing crazy new that was like mind blowing to me. It was literally like, what did I do when I first got sober? And these are the things that I did when I first got sober. So. Oh, and I think everybody needs that reminder, myself included, right? You're talking about like, oh, you know, if I have this resentment for three days, do some mini inventory. I'm like, oh shit, I think I have one I've had for like two weeks now. Right. Uh, and I just keep putting it on my daily inventory. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm being honest, but I'm really not taking the next action for it. So thank you for the reminder. Um, <laughs> there is a lot in there that I want to touch on, but one of the things um, that you said was talking about like getting, you got a new sponsee and I just got a new sponsee and I've been kind of sponsorless for a little bit. Um, I just, they disappeared on me. It happens. If you have it had sponsees, they just all of a sudden stop calling. Um, I wish that, you know, it, there should be dating rules to sponsorship. If you want to break up with me, you break up with me and that's right. fine. But like, yeah. don't just ghost me and then I'm concerned about you. But regardless, right. um, this new sponsee that I'm working with, um, I met with her on Zoom yesterday and gosh, she is so full of life for this program. And she's, she has yet to go to an in-person meeting since she mm -hmm. got sober this time because of the quarantine stuff or social distancing. And, um, I was kind of one of the resentments I had had that I do still need to write inventory on was people saying that the lack of in-person meetings was causing people to relapse. And looking at her, I realized like your recovery is your recovery. And you, mm -hmm. if you are willing to do whatever it takes, the same shit you would do to get high, like you can stay sober today with the help of your higher power. Um, so you left the, the, maybe not the program, you left fellowships for, mm -hmm. for a little bit and then came back. Could you elaborate on that? Maybe even if you just want to talk about coming back. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so this was, so I had mentioned earlier that when I was pregnant, I had to go on bed rest and then I had to have an emergency delivery with my daughter because we were both at risk of losing our lives. And so that in itself was really traumatic for me. And I did deal with a lot of postpartum after she was born. Um, she was in the NICU for like two months. And so not bringing her home, all the fear of like, is she going to survive, you know? And then my husband actually, at the time, um, we have such different journeys in recovery. You know, he was using again and it kind of all came to a head, like right after I brought her home. And, um, 
the, the main reason I think that I had to take a step back um, was because I was going for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I was going to meetings, um, but I wasn't talking to newcomers, right? I was going because it was part of my routine. It wasn't something that I was doing to hear a message. I was going just to share a message, right? And that's, to me, those are indicators that like, I need to either go to some different meetings, like go to a meeting that has all old timers with 30 years of recovery and keep my mouth shut. Right. Mm. Cause like, there's a lot of times I need to hear a message, but my ego gets in the way. And because I'm a seasoned member of the fellowship, I, I tend to share my experience a lot, but I don't, I don't listen. Right. And so all of that kind of combined. Um, and, and then I had a couple issues with some people in the, in the fellowship who, um, were less than admirable in the way that they treated me. Right. And I responded horribly. So it caused a lot of conflict. I wasn't in an emotionally sound place or spiritually fit place to be able to handle all of this. And so I basically just said like, F it, I'm going to like do my own thing for a little while. And, um, so I took a step back. I started going to a different fellowship closer to my house um, so I was still doing my recovery. I had gotten a new sponsor during this time. And so I dove back into step work. But um, when I came back, it was interesting because I had been gone from my home group for about eight months, um, give or take a little bit. And I was so nervous to go back, right? Like I felt shame and guilt for for taking a step away instead of feeling gratitude towards myself for self-care because in a sense like I needed to take a step back in order for me to be able to show up in the future and be of service for the right reasons and so when I came back it was just weird it's a it's totally new people right it's a totally new group of people in the home group minus like the five people that have been there forever um and I didn't really like no I felt like a newcomer. I didn't feel like I fit in. You know, it was weird. And I was like four and a half years sober at this point. I'm like, these are the, my people, but I don't feel like I fit in. And so it took a it took a while. Um, but what I did was I the first meeting I went back to was actually the group conscience. And so I stayed and um I nominated myself for a chairperson position because I knew for me that the only way that I was going to be committed to showing up for at least long enough for me to be comfortable again mm-hmm. was to have a service position because when I have a service position, I don't not show up. Right. My first sponsor was old school AA and was like, if you take a service commitment, you have to be there and you know, whatever. So I did. And I nominated myself to share and I was raw and honest and vulnerable with people. And um, it allowed me to reconnect with people that I had, been you know close to prior to that and then it allowed me to new meet people meet new people um and and it's kind of just been like a a whole new chapter really in my recovery you know it's been an interesting year and a half almost two years since i've been back and um i'm just i'm excited for the fellowship now whereas before I think everyone feels this way once in a while, every once in a while, like where they just get super resentful at the fellowship and they're like, you know, it's, it's the whole principles over personalities thing for sure. And um, everyone gets a little bit resentful in in my opinion, like it's okay to step back every once in a while and and try something different or go to different meetings and immerse yourself other places. 
Um, the last thing that I want for myself is to feel that the, the, the safest meetings and the most comfortable meetings for me are, are detrimental to my recovery. Like I don't want to ever feel like that. Um, but it's, it's been an interesting experience. You know, it, I definitely am glad that I continue to work a personal program, even though I had stepped back from the fellowship aspect. Um, if I had not, I don't think that I may not still be sober. I have no clue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was really struggling during that time and again, took the actions I needed to and asked for help and here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it shows that you can get through anything sober, right? People, mm -hmm. you know, there's a section in the big book where it talks about like, if someone wants to be sober, it doesn't matter if they're homeless, if they're not homeless, if they have money, if they don't have money, if there's, you know, if they drive a Lexus or they drive an Acura, whatever it is. Um, right. And oftentimes in my head, maybe not as much with recovery, but the rest of my life, I'll be like, well, if I just lose more weight or if I just fix my teeth or if I just do all these external things, then I'll feel better. But that's not mm -hmm. true because my relationship with God is not contingent upon how I feel. It's right. always there. And God is what shepherds me through this program. Um, and people like to knock on the back of the book, but I think that more people should go read those stories and, you know, good old 417, nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And now you have an opportunity to share that experience with someone else. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be someone else who's like, yo, I fucking hate everyone right now. Um, kind of where I'm at, I've gained a lot of resentment. And so I actually stepped down from a position Technically, I'm doing it today um, because I need that spiritual white space. I need some time. Um, I'm not serving anyone at this point. I'm just angry and unable to be of service to others because all I can see is their personalities. And I've missed the whole part of helping people because, um, you know, it's all about me. <laughs> so um, with that being said, um, I say that word phrase too much, but regardless, um, I'm so grateful you've been here and, um, you're a very wise person that I look up to. So I'm glad you were able to share your message. Um, and I wish we had some more time, but before we end, um, is there a little tidbit of wisdom, maybe something that you've learned over the last year, um, that you'd like to impart on those listening? Yeah, I think that, you know, if you're listening and you don't have any days sober or you're listening and you have 20 years sober, or if you're at that funky place of like nine months to a year and a half where you just want to give up, um, you know, I will say that probably the, the biggest thing that I can say is that you can handle anything that life throws at you as long as you continue to show up the best you can and be honest. Um, I feel like, for me, being honest about the grossest of stuff in my life, the ickiest feelings, the like horrible trauma that I've experienced while being sober, um, the losses that I've gone through, the one thing that's been consistent is honesty. I've always showed up and told people exactly where I'm at. Um, and I say that because nobody can help me if I'm not honest about where I am. No one can meet me in the middle of the road. If I'm say I'm starting over here, but I'm really over here, yeah. you know, nobody can, I I'm not allowing people to help me if I'm not open and honest. Um, and along with that, I will say that my sponsor, my current sponsor has hammered this into my brain and into my heart, but the answer is always within. 
Um, nothing outside of myself will ever fix my problems. Everything that I have learned and the only way that I've gotten through everything in the past couple of years has been because I have turned the focus and put it on myself and really examined where my feelings are coming from, what my triggers are. Um, and with learning that about myself, right, I'm able to show up differently. I'm able to respond instead of react. Um, so I would say those two things, like it doesn't matter what you've done, who you've harmed, the things that have been done to you. If you can show up honestly, even if it's with one person, um, that honesty will open the floodgates for hope and faith and recovery. Um, and that's probably I, I have to give my, you know, my recovery over to my ability to be honest. I really do. It's one of the things that I was so incapable of doing before I got sober. And now it's literally what I live by. Um, and I truly believe that my higher power wants me to be an honest woman. And, and that's who I intend to be when I wake up in the morning. And that's who I'm grateful for that I am when I go to bed at night. Amen to that. I love that. Look within folks, look within. And you know, that, the honesty part is so, so crucial to all of this, right? Like, and honesty is scary. And people mm -hmm. don't always like honest people because mm -hmm. then it calls in a question what's going on inside themselves. Um, I know I can feel attacked at times. So thank you for being here. Um, if you're still listening, I hope people are. Um, I appreciate you all tuning in for episode 14 with Lauren. This episode was pre-recorded thanks to scheduling issues. I love my job. Um, so with that, um, even with the scheduling issues, this will be posted on Facebook at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday, which is the regularly scheduled recording time. So tune in. You can do so by liking and following the Control Issues Facebook page. Um, stay updated on the Control Issues Instagram at Control Issues 19. If that's how you'll know I have laryngitis or not. Um, and if you have feedback, uh, feel free to reach out to me either on those platforms or at controlissues19 at gmail.com. If you want to get connected with H&On or any other family groups, I'm sure Lauren could help with other ones too, at least to point you in the right direction, reach out to me or to Lauren directly. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and grace and peace, my friends.